0: Welcome to the Debunking Economics Podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And today, money. We only ever see a bit of it, the small amount that turns up as cash in our wallets or our purses. The rest, of course, just moves from bank account to bank account. But what if we never saw any of it? What if we went totally cashless? Will it ever happen? And what are the repercussions for the economy if it does? In short, do we need cash? That's today on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Well, we do know that Sweden is moving quickly to being a cashless society. There's uh, lots of shops and restaurants that won't accept cash now over there. You have to pay by card. Even public toilets are cashless. You have to pay with your mobile phone. The proportion of cash payments in the retail sector fell from 40% in 2010 to about 14% in 2016, according to Sweden's Central Bank Cash Payments has fallen now to less than 2% of GDP. So what is the upshot if we see an end to hard currency altogether? Well, Steve, I can see, I mean, there's pros and cons here, isn't there? One, obviously, is it's more convenient than uh, cash. But so, Steve, what is the upshot if we see an end to hard currency altogether? Uh, One of my favourite books was the uh,
1: second in the series, the Rama series by Arthur C. Clarke. And Rama was an object that came drifting into the solar system, sending three blips on a very regular basis, and they realised after all it was a cigar-shaped object from a foreign civilization passing through the solar system, which they thought was coming to say, ''Hello, uh, take us to your leader.'' And instead of saying, take us to your your, uh, solar system, take us to your uh, solar power system, they just drained some energy off the sun and went by ignoring humanity, who then realized they, not only were they not the only species in the universe, they weren't even the most important. In fact, the neighbors didn't even bother knocking and asking for a cup of sugar as they went past. Uh, So what happened was a huge boom of eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow, we're irrelevant and people, though, there's enormous speculative boom in a world in which there was no currency, and at the end of it, uh, all the, the, the Ponzi bubble burst, and rather than people being able to come and take their money out of the banks in cash, there was no cash, and the economy went into an enormous funk, uh, the deepest hole it's ever hit, because at least when you have a... Uh, if you if you have a complete failure of a electronic monetary system, you have no money. Yeah. Uh, whereas you have a failure of a, of a mixed... Uh, electronic and physical money system then people are going to run to the physical money uh, and they'll still have that Uh, but the failure of the credit system can be contained but if you had you know that that's one reason i'm Mm. very sceptical about the whole idea of cashless society. Well, I mean, we actually had, didn't we, a, couple of week,
0: a few weeks ago, we had the visa system mm. broke down for one Friday afternoon, I think all mm. over Europe, mm. actually, and people uh, were at petrol stations, for example, all of a sudden found they had no way of paying for the petrol that they'd uh, already drawn out of the pump. And, uh, I mean, it did create yeah. a, a little bit of chaos. So, I mean, we, you know, we've got examples of that. So the system's not faultless. So that, yeah, I, I take that as a...
1: That's, that's my... Mate. That that's my major problem is that it's not not faultless and and knowing enough about computer systems, um, I, I know you should never expect a faultless computer system. It's like expecting a faultless spouse. Yeah, uh, forget it, um, and uh, you put your spouse under enormous stress and watch back and watch the, what the fun is. No, thank you. Uh, and the same
0: thing applies to the financial system. We always get an insight so, into um, your private life on this podcast, don't we? But, I mean, you could say the same thing. I mean, you have to get cash out of a machine. Huh? You know, huh? I was going to, no fault here. It's all uh, it's all hunky-dory. <laughs> don't you worry about that. But, I mean, you you, out of your shot. <laughs> you can um, – there's cash machines. You can get money out. You know, that could go wrong. You know, so, I mean, the same thing could apply. You could say well, but technology could fail even with hard currency. That, that,
1: that, that's, that requires a mechanical failure. If you think about ATMs everywhere, mm. um, they're stashed with cash. And for actually not being able to get out of the machine, then you've got to have a decision. And this actually happened, of course, to Greece. And this is, again, one of the reasons why I'm very sceptical about going to a cashless society, because if you're going to have a cashless society, then the people in control of your cashless money have to understand how the system works. Now, I know that the central banks in the main don 't understand how their own system works. The private banks don 't either, neither do the bitcoiners um, yeah. in, in, so there's to, to trust your monetary system to uh, to governors of those systems, whether they 're you know, the centralized central banks, the private banks or the de- de- decentralized uh, bitcoin. Uh, networks to trust them to people who don't actually understand the system in the first place is not the sort of thing i want to do
0: well i mean that is what you know one thing that's often been discussed isn't it if we had a totally cashless society does it have to be uh managed through a central bank could it could it actually give rise to uh to cryptocurrencies well if you're saying central and the the big problem there is how is it regulated because it's not regulated by central banks but if you're saying well central banks don't know what they're doing either does that really matter we got, you know, does it matter if you, well, you, got, you take your pick between two people who don't have a clue what's going on? Does it really matter which one you choose?
1: Well, the trouble is with the crypto world right now. A lot of what's happening in the crypto world is the sort of reason that regulations evolved in the first place, because mm. you had sharks, financial sharks of various sorts. So people, I mean, the classic scheme was always the pump and dump scheme, where you uh, cause uh, cause it's better rumor that causes a share price to rise. Uh, buy-in before the rumour goes out, watch the... So you have actually triggered the price rise, watch the suckers rush in. Once they rush in, you sell out. The price then plunges. It goes possibly below where it started. Uh, the, The promoters of the scheme come out with a large profit. The late entrants get their hearts ripped out. And that's why we started getting regulation and why prospectuses are so important on share markets, even if you, know, you still get you know, ludicrous products being put forward. You have, you have this requirement that what is in the prospectus is, is legally certified. Mm. Now, that doesn't exist at all in the Bitcoin world and you know, the, the, the crypto coin world. You've, and I think you had crypto coins involved in, in trying to produce uh, uh, ecologically sound cocoa. You know things of this nature, and there have been, you know, from what I can see, it just looks just like the the um, uh, the uh, what they call the South Sea Bubble in terms of all these weird things being invented. And, and the, the classic South Sea Bubble was a company that said that uh, its its uh, project was secret, and not to be known by anyone, <laughs> and that got subscribed. So the crypto world is allowing all this sort of stuff to happen right now. And what you will have out of that is if you do have. That unregulated world continuing, then you'll have a pump and pump and dump schemes, which are already, from what I've been told, happening on a massive scale right now. Uh, people being ripped off with absolutely no recourse, and. The distrust of the financial system and a call for regulation of it. I think that's happening already. The, the, uh, but still, you you rely upon these re- exchanges continuing to work and not being robbed. And there's plenty of them that have
0: been robbed. Now, of course, the, the, the part of the problem with these cryptocurrencies is though that they are, you know, we've talked about this in the past. They're largely there for speculators rather than being a, a currency as mm-hmm. such. If you got to a situation though, like for example in in Sweden. Uh, where you uh, have everyone who's cashless, then you could have a, a, a cryptocurrency that they, that is in use day to day. And wouldn't that change the, the behavior somewhat? Wouldn't there be more checks and balances if it wasn't there for speculation? Because if the you'd, price you'd, kept you'd on rising, then people couldn't afford to buy anything. Yeah.
1: You, you can't you can't do it without the checks and balances because you have to stop the the you know the type of totally fraudulent behaviour being underwritten by the financial system. Of course, you know the, you still get fraud, but to, to, to the scale that happens in, in sort of wild west of, of, of uh, cryptocurrencies right now, uh, is is not something which would be allowed to continue. Uh, because you're not going to get a – the the large part of the crypto thing is, you know, getting away from state control, but you're never going to get away from states existing in the first place. And they're going to want to be able to tax them. They're going to want to have, you know, non – there will be court cases taken out to try to prevent this at some stage. But the thing still comes down to how reliable is that network? Mm. Uh, is, is is the network going to cope with an enormous increase in volume? If people, are, if you have a panic, like at the moment when you have a panic, there's a run on the banks. People come at the banks to take out physical cash, uh, and they can do that because the physical cash exists. And if it does happen, then central, the central bank, and, you know, in America's case, the uh, the Federal Reserve, in the UK's case, the Bank of England, will literally you know, ramp up the printing presses. Uh, Get the trucks rushing out the basements with stocks, of the, the dollars and the pounds, getting to those ATMs before they run low on cash. And so there's a second system. What is the second system? What is the fallback?
0: If, if it's, it's all totally cashless. Ditched, yeah. If it's but but, but then yeah. again, you could get over that by saying, well, OK, we, we, we've all got a buffer. We've all got uh, stuck underneath our mattress. We've got whatever we think we need to get through uh, the through crisis, and how long is that? that, you know, the the technological crisis. 37
1: cents in some people's cases. I mean, mean, if you said...
0: But if you, if everybody said, well, "Look, we've got a thousand, we've got a thousand quid just in case uh, the system goes down for uh, for a few days," um, but other than that, but we never really use that. that, that that's, that's not accepted in shops unless there's an emergency. Then you are in effect running a cashless society with just a bit of cash reserves, which everyone's got, as I say, stuffed under the mattress.
1: Yeah, but they, but which they wouldn't use. And if you, if you, this is why I'm I'm very concerned about the idea of a, of having another financial bubble in a completely cashless society. Mm. because when you have people's desire for liquidity meaning they try to liquidate whatever assets they get and convert them across to, to to money the plunge that could occur in those asset prices I think would make what happened in 1987 look mild and in that situation people can find themselves in the liquidation phase of so having one you know one half or one one tenth of the amount of money that they thought they were going to have and you have a, a, a you know, a 1920s-style downturn, rather than a 2007-style downturn, coming out of it. So, Mark, you down as sceptical on the on the on the sustainability of a
0: 100% cashless society? Well, yeah. I'm also wondering whether it means people would spend more as well, because we would, because uh, it is easier. I mean, anything that's easier. So we look at uh, you know people buying stuff on Amazon because it's easy; it's one click and it's done. Do we spend more, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, we're spending less, and this is actually the, one mm-hmm. of the one of the things
1: that I want to have a, a good talk about at some stage as well. Where has velocity gone? Uh, because it, if you look at the the broadest possible measure of money in the United States is called MZM, which stands for money of zero maturity. And that's, uh, let's see what they actually define it as here. Uh, But it's
0: money that just changes hands quickly, in other words.
1: Yeah, it's saying it's notes and coins in circulation, travelers' checks. Now, those are two things which would disappear in our discussion so far. Yeah. And then demand deposits, other checkable deposits, savings deposits, and all money market funds. So that's the broadest definition of money in America. And the rate at which that was turning over peaked in 1981 at 3.5 times per year. Now, it is currently 1.3 times per year. Now, if we had the rate of turnover of money we had back in 1981, that means that we would currently have a GDP two and a half times what it currently is. So there's been a collapse in velocity of circulation of money, and my feeling is that is because of the rise in private debt. People are trying to save money to pay their debt down, but when you try to save money, uh, what you're actually doing is slowing down the rate of turnover of money. You can't save money into existence, so you spend it more slowly. And we think we're spending more quickly now, but in fact we were spending far more rapidly, literally two and a half times faster in 1981 than we are now.
0: So your scepticism for cashless society... Irrespective, I do wonder whether it's going to happen. If we look at, you know, cash payments now, less than 2% of GDP in Sweden. Mm, yeah. Shops saying, well, we're not going to accept any cash. We are, you know, we're going to take cards. That's all. It may not ever get to the stage where it's totally cashless, but it is going to be predominantly cashless. What is the, uh, aside from the fact that, well, <laughs> you know, it could all call collapse in a heap, uh, what are the downsides? Or is, you know, from, from an a, economical point of view are there are there any downsides of replacing um cash with um with virtual uh, transactions whether they're virtual transactions linked to you know what it whatever the national currency is or whether they're some other currency what are what are the negatives
1: well in, in terms of when I mean, the system's functioning well none in terms of the system breaks down you, you know how many fingers have you got yeah uh, and that's my my problem it's only a cashless society. What, by definition, a cashless society at the moment means a society in which money is only stored electronically. And at the moment, our our system is a combination of electronic storage and physical storage. And if one breaks down, you have Yours the option the of the other. So there's a an okay. the, if we an optionless one really scares the bejesus out of me.
0: Right, but it may be that it, you know we, do, we never get to a fully cashless society, but we get to one where it's. Sort of like ninety nine point nine percent, and you've got that. That you still it would got the be fun, it?
1: Imagine, imagine the shops that are currently saying we won't accept cash, and then there's a, cr- a crash in the credit system. So they'll take cash.
0: They'll, cash they'll, they'll start to take cash yeah. that day. Yeah, of course they will.
1: Yeah, that's but, right. You know, the, you know, they get all signs of people selling Rolls Royces outside nineteen twenty nine stock markets.
0: <laughs> there's a, there's an app in Sweden which is called well, so you can get it anywhere, but it's very popular in Sweden, which is called uh-huh. Swish. That links payments to your yeah. bank account. There's lots of, you know, lots of these systems around, but Swish is the one that's most popular. You use it to pay for stuff. You can also pay back friends. So if you're in a restaurant, you can, and you're all on Swish, then you can sort of like all chip into the bill together. And, uh, yeah. it's currently more than 60% of the population of Sweden use this app, that one app used by mm. well over half the population. That is immense power, isn't it? For the app developer. It is,
1: it is, yeah.
0: Much more than any bank. It's quite
1: remarkable, actually. Yeah, I've got to take a look at the Swish payment system. Set up in two thousand and twelve. Okay. But so what I mean this, is, this stuff is incredibly convenient. I'm not not arguing it's not convenient. But what is the what is the danger um, of a company
0: like that if they've if they've now got so much power about how transactions are handled within uh, with, even though they're not a bank, you know, they're sort of an intermediary. They could become a bank, I guess, mm. couldn't they? They could say, well, the next stage is uh, why do we need to deal with banks? Why don't we become a bank ourselves? But also they have a lot of data mm. as well. They know, they know every transaction that's going on for 60% of the population in Sweden. That's huge power. It's
1: very huge power. I mean, what if, if we're going to have just a cashless society, then I'd want to have two systems of money, not just one. I'd want to have one which is based on credit where you can actually get loans and so on. Uh, but I want another one which is completely transactional. And, uh, a bit like the, like in, in, in Japan, the, the post office system, which is a place where people put their money and they don't expect a rate of interest, but they expect to get access to their money easily. Yeah. Uh, if it was all transactions based, I wouldn't be anywhere near as much worried as its a combination of transaction and credit. And. And that's what, I, that's what scares me. That we, if, if, if we, The stuff we rely upon now for our day-to-day transactions uh, is already badly affected by credits, the ups and downs of credit. If you didn't have the alternative of cash and something like uh, 2007 came along, then people would suddenly find that they can't even access their money quite possibly. Uh, and you, you would have a breakdown in the system. Uh, where, you know, if, if any particular company, if you had a particular bank, a bank folds, uh, at the moment you can go and try to get your money out of it. It sort of precipitates the fall, but it also means the central bank has to come and put cash there for people to wear, wear it, withdraw. And it will do that after the experience in 1929. If it can't even do that, if it has no fallback, then that's what really scares me.
0: Mm. What about um, when you pay for something in cash? Obviously, you're using your country's currency. You know, you take out your £10 note and pay. If you're paying uh, for a cashless transaction, then in theory, uh, you're told how much it costs in pounds. But you might actually say, well, actually, you know, it's a really good exchange rate now uh, against the US dollar or the Australian dollar. So I'm going to, you know, you're going to get £10, but I'm going to pay for it. In US dollars Could you I mean you, you see my point You could almost get to a stage Where you, you every transaction Almost becomes Currency speculation Happening at the same time We're not seeing that happen yet But I would have thought That's sort of like a The next step You know Do I have my money Sitting in various parts Of the world And I use my the best available exchange rate to buy goods on a day-to-day basis, and
1: somebody will write an app to take advantage of that as well.
0: So yeah, you can be it, sure
1: there'll be arbitrage like that taking place.
0: But it, what what uh, would that, be the impact on that arbitrage if that was happening on a day-to-day, you know, or garden transaction basis? Surely we would see some sort of equalisation of currencies, wouldn't we? Like, for example, you know, this this growth we're seeing in the in the US dollar at, at the moment might against the euro. Perhaps perhaps they th- those shifts would be less extreme if. Uh, all day-to-day transactions were basically happening in, in in a whole variety of currencies, not just by speculators, but by people just buying stuff.
1: Yeah, but again, that's uh, again that works extremely well, and, and when the system is functioning okay. Uh, mm. But it's a it's a it's a transmission mechanism for you know a bit like having a virulent diseases and throwing uh, international flights into the mixture when you didn't have them beforehand. The, the capacity for those diseases to spread is just that much greater. So again, my concern is that we would have uh, given a system which had enabled that sort of arbitrage and you had um, cashless transactions everywhere, then you could have a very rapid transition of crisis in one country to crises elsewhere. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, but we, I, we- I, can, I understand the convenience, but I'm scared about the potential without it having a fallback. Uh, that it has the same durability as the cash fallback has
0: for the current system. Right. So, do you think we'll never get there then? Because of that, because we're so because there will be concern about the fallback, or do you think we will actually? No, get well,
1: to- I, th- I think we potentially could get there and then fight it the hard way how it works when, when there's a breakdown in the financial system. Because again, we tend to we we don't make these decisions with care and you know and foresight. We we just go on along the current trend. And of course, it's it is far more convenient to pay electronically than pay with cash once the speed of those transactions is high enough. So I've. You you know, I, I bought my lunch today with a swipe, you know, swiping a transfer wise card, which is actually a multi currency card at the local um, local sandwich bar so I, I appreciate the convenience and the convenience will win out and we'll, and we'll do that only when time when the function system is functioning well, so it'll extend itself and then we'll have the crisis after that, and then we'll find whether it's robust or not and my expectation is we'll find that it's not robust and then they'll be all all hell to pay, and we won't have uh, a fallback of the same tense of switching over to cash-based transactions if there's a breakdown in in the deposit system. And that's doubly so when you have central banks not understanding how the system works and making such crazy ideas as bailing in depositors when a bank fails. (laughs) Uh, If you have that bank failure and it's all electronic and, bang, your money's gone, and you have no chance to get it out... I um, mean, the, the room for, for for going from people being confident and relaxed because of electronic transmissions to panic, I think, is pretty extreme.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I thought you'd be saying that the big concern is that it becomes so easy that people would spend more. But as you're saying, they're not spending more. But it, it could be a a road to uh, to faster. Um, uh, household debt, but you don't think that is the case. You think people, people's behaviour isn't going to change too much with this convenience.
1: Well, in fact, the convenience like to accelerate the destabilising behaviour. <laughs> that's that's mm. my worry. Yeah. I mean, again, I've got this focus on it. We, we, we live in an unstable system, and we have people making changes to its behaviour who believe it's stable. And the, in that sense, like the Indian government's decision to try to abolish cash, abolish all those notes, uh, that was very effective for those who had bank accounts that didn't include most of india's poor so you your so-called monetary tra- monetary reform over there caused a large boost in poverty uh, i think it's been reversed to some extent now but that's that sort of blundering into the future rather than stepping into the future is what i think we'll do
0: so finally then so applications like swish and they'll and there will be obviously lots of others as well i mean there already are lots of uh lots of ways of handling your transactions using your phone or um using a card which aren't necessarily operated by banks i mean do, what, what sort of regulations do we need given that these potentially these organizations do have immense power what should governments be doing now to try and make sure that they are acting uh you know conscionably and they're not um, they're not Distorting the uh, the economy in in ways that perhaps we wouldn't like to see.
1: Well, again, I'm I'm more concerned about what happens with credit creation in that system than the transactional side. I think these systems work fairly fairly well on the transactional side. It's just right. that they probably have ceilings the amount they can cope with. And when you have a crisis, you probably punch through that ceiling and then see whether the fi- whether the you know what happens to the computer databases when they overload. And we have visa effects all over the planet. That's that's the main problem I have there. But if you can if you can If you can isolate this from credit creation, then I'd be a lot happier. I'd rather have, I'd be happy to have a completely electronic form of transactions being financed, but to have a form of electronic transactions blended with electronic credit creation. Uh, then that's what scares me because the credit system will break down at some point and then the transactions will also fall over without a fallback of an alternative system called
0: cash. Because it's almost like secondary banks, isn't it, in a way? It's sort of like you get a company – because you could see the natural evolution of this. A company, I could say, well, look, you know, we're handling all of these transactions. So we're we're dealing with money for people now. Why don't we give them credit as well? Why don't we tell Mm. tell them that, in effect, your card is now also a credit card uh, and we're going to give you an allowance on that and maybe – there's regulations they have to adhere to in one country, but they say we're international, uh, and uh, you know we're gonna we're gonna create that credit almost based on a, on a punt because we have so much money that we're dealing with and transactions on a day to day basis. Uh, mm. could, couldn't they? Could you see something like that happening where they you know that then they are unregulated and they are creating that. That credit, but it's uh, almost like a almost like a secondary bank. Well, this is what you
1: know, if you look at what happened with uh, mortgages in various countries around the world when the interest rates got to be very high in the eighties. A lot of people were borrowing Swiss uh, from Swiss banks uh, in the belief that that would. Um, you know get get them lower rates of interest then you had a massive appreciation in the Swiss currency and people found that their debt rose by 40 percent mm. and uh, this is the worry if you if you if you find people trying to take advantage of particular uh, regimes the fact that they take advantage of those regimes will change the regimes yeah and then you could find that people are unable to pay the the debts they've committed themselves to, not because the debts were unpayable when they took them out, but because the debts have been amplified by currency movements driven by their attempt to take advantage of of an arbitrage. So... um that this again is why I think that that particular rendezvous with Rama first chapter of of, of this rendezvous Rama two, is worth a read by anybody considering the idea of a cashless society.
0: Right, so it's all fine so long as we're all going to die in the end. Uh, <laughs> it seems to, as long as you're not planning for a future, uh, it's all good. So, but it seems to be you're saying cash is fine. It's not so long as it's not credit. If it's convenience, not credit. That's the that's the big concern.
1: If it's if it's a transactional based system and it doesn't interlink with a credit system, then i would be Rather less worried about it than I am, of where people are not even realising they need to make
0: the distinction. Right until the technology falls over, and then uh, we're all uh-huh. we're all left hungry. All right, uh, interesting times we live in. Good to talk again, Steve. We'll catch you again very soon. Okay, mate. Yeah. And Steve said it himself, one subject for us to explore, which we might do next time on the Debunking Economics podcast, is why, just why, are we spending less these days? And how do we speed up the rate of transactions? And does it matter? Uh, what are the repercussions? We'll look at all of that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening.